You are listening to History Man, a platform for historians, authors, and curators to tell their story of the American Revolution, where we walk in the footsteps of heroes and proclaim freedom reigns. We're here again with Richard Allen Morris, a retired Lieutenant Colonel, U.S. Air Force, and Vice President of the Piedmont Region's Sons of the American Revolution, and volunteer at the 96th Historic Site in South Carolina. Richard, we just finished the last episode, and it was the uh, the big battle, first battle of 96, uh, where you had thousands of people <laughs> converging on this little town, and they were all neighbors, right? Correct. And uh, they were still trying to sort out exactly who was in charge of South Carolina, which cause was going to win the day, and in the midst of that big argument of who who held sway over the government these neighbors got together and they they there were shots fired and people died as a result of this so uh, so that was 1775 november 1775 just before the declaration of before the declaration of independence after concord and everything up north but still 1775 what happened then well once they signed the treaty these guys go off to their own homes and stuff now some people think that they heard about the militia force they were putting together at Camden. And that's why it ended. Okay. I think they ran out of gunpowder. Three days of shooting at each other. They didn't have a lot of gunpowder to begin with. So, but whatever reason, they quit shooting at each other. Signed the peace treaty. And, of course, the peace treaty had a provision in it that it would be enforced regardless of who showed up. If you had reinforcements show up for either side, they still had to abide by this peace treaty. Well, not so much. On the 26th, Colonel Richardson shows up at 96. He has between 2,500 and 4,000 men, militia, patriots, that are going to track down these loyalists and arrest them and send them to Charlestown. So it's interesting. It's not just a rabble army of, of you know, pitchforks and, you know, whatever. We're talking about someone with the ability, and now that they've made it to 96, he now has access to the enemy, and he's basing his actions on the authority that's been given to him to act, right? Correct. The Provincial Congress had told him, you need to go arrest the leaders of this loyalist movement and send them to Charlestown. And he's in a, he's in a, a bind. Oh, absolutely. Right? Absolutely. Right. So, I mean, he's got the authority to lead this vast army. If he shirks his authority, well, then he becomes an enemy of the state. So what did he do? This is what was called the Snow Campaign. A lot of people have heard, I don't know if you've heard of that, snow campaign occurred in December. It occurs around Spartanburg. Uh, some of the leaders they caught right away. The guy that had signed the treaty, they arrested him. The colonel that had signed the treaty originally, uh, they arrested him and sent him to Charlestown. They sent one of the Cunninghams to Charlestown. The other Cunningham brothers tried to get their brother before he got there, but they didn't make it with a loyalist force trying to intercept him. So there's a lot of moving parts that are happening at the same time in December. They finally flee to Indian Territory on the border of the Indian Territory, up around Spartanburg, what is currently Spartanburg. The Patriot Force under Richardson find them where these guys have fled. Now, this is primarily the leaders. In other words, they didn't take a 2,000-man army with them. The rest of the guys are home with their, with their family, taking care of their families, these loyalists and stuff, and they're just kind of staying out of it. These guys are after the leaders. Okay. So they show up at this place. And they called it the Snow Campaign. Now, the reason they called it the Snow Campaign, it wasn't snow when they started, of course, but 15 inches of snow dropped on them during this time period. They'd have caught a few. Of the, they caught a few of the leaders. One of the Cunninghams got away, ended up in Florida. 
Some of them fled into the Cherokee territory. These guys, when the snow fell, they were not dressed for snow. These militia guys were not dressed for snow. So when the snow fell, they left to go home, taking the guys that they caught. They weren't chasing anybody else. They just wanted to go home and get warm. And so, and so the snow campaign was cut short, and these guys left and went back to their, their individual homes with the, the, one, the, point, the few that they caught. But uh, some of them did escape and ended up in Florida and actually joining the British later as part of the Loyalist Militia provincial forces that the British brought with them back to South Carolina. Now, from that time forward, 1776, it's basically civil war in the upcountry, not down along the coast, primarily in the upcountry. Each buddy's got their own little militia groups. These are all small little battles that occurred up here in 1775. Burning of cabins, uh, killing of livestock, I mean, just and most civil of, war. Most of it, I mean, uh, you know, Jack Parker in his book, Parker's Guide to the, Ameri- to the Revolutionary War in South Carolina, he documents over 580 actions. Uh, but most of the actions that you're talking about here in the upstate were never documented. No, no. These are, these are family feuds that go on for years. Correct. A, a father is killed in ambush. The sons find out about it, and over the course of the next couple of years, they're 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 looking for bloodlust on this and, and and retribution and that sort of thing. I know that there's a story that uh, Lyman Draper talks about with a guy by the name of Josiah Cuthbertson, who uh, his family, you know, m- much the same way, he marries into this family. His father-in-law. And his son and his wife are, um, you know, set upon by some loyalists. And these lo- he finds out about it. And these loyalists threaten to kill him. And, and then he goes and seeks retribution. And had Lyman Draper not mentioned that in a one paragraph, that would be lost to, oh. to, to uh, history, that sort of thing. Ber- Burnfoot Brown is a classic example of a guy just to want to be left alone. On the, on the loyalist side. Just wanted to be left alone. Okay. But when he wouldn't select a side and wouldn't participate with the Patriots, they tarred and feathered him and burned his feet so bad that, you know, he was damaged. And after that incident, he became a strong loyalist to the point that if he caught a Patriot, he'd kill him. And he was in charge of the fort at Augusta. And that's exactly what happened. Uh, You know, and we talked a little bit about the Cunninghams and we talked about Will Cunningham who they call Bloody Bill, sought his retribution, you know, after the British, for the most part, abandoned the state. And this was like the last hurrah. And he was like, well, I'm not going to be, I'm going to go seek some retribution while I have the chance to do that and have the authority to do that. But uh, he was on the Patriot side at one time. He was. And he, the battle occurred in 1776 down Charlestown. He was forced to go down and man defenses at Charlestown. Well, he said, I didn't sign up for that. I'll protect the frontier. I'm not going down to Charlestown. And they said, yes, you will, because you're part of the militia. And apparently, uh, at some point, he had risen up against his commander, and he was whipped. That was the punishment back then. They would whip you. After that, he wanted nothing to do with the Patriot cause or the militia forces. Wasn't there something about his dad was injured or something, and then he walked on foot back to Lawrence or wherever it was and killed the guy at his dinner table, walked into the house and killed him. Shot him right there. Shot him right there. Yeah. 
And no, his talk, exploits through South Carolina, that's a whole nother. That's a whole, I mean, we could do at, two or three. At, towards the end of the war, well, it was the end of the war. The British basically were staying in Charlestown, and they turned him loose with a bunch of bunch of militia guys. And him and his deputy, they were, Bloody Bill, he deserved the name. Yeah. And yeah. they never did catch him. But all that goes back to the person, the, the psychology of the, the blood feud. Correct. That was in the back country. Correct. Right there. It's interesting. Correct. And that's one of the things you have to realize is back here, Whoever was in charge, the other guys have joined that group. So these guys are switching loyalties. Unfortunately, there will become a point in time in, in the 1780s that you can't switch anymore. Right. Well, the proclamation, right? Yeah. It's about Clinton's proclamation. When Clinton was getting on the boat, after he, for, for the most part, took Charleston and kind of settled everything, he got on the boat and said, oh, no, you, you have to come fight with us. Against, him the, a choice. against the same people that he didn't that give him a family. choice. That's he, he exactly right. Choice. Now, yeah. what a lot of people understand, 1776, we actually had a second Cherokee War up here in the upcountry. Okay. The second Cherokee War occurred because the British were going to invade Charleston. A lot of people say, well, no, they didn't show up till 1780. No, 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 no. First time the British tried to take Charleston was 1776. Right. This is Fort Sullivan. Fort Sullivan. This is where Jasper's standing on the ramparts. Exactly right. Flag. Exactly right. All that stuff, palmetto tree, that's how it became. All that stuff happened in 1776. What the British had told the Cherokee was, we're coming ashore at Charlestown, and we'll meet you in the middle. So the Cherokee were coming from the north, the British were coming from the south, and they were going to meet in the middle. They told the same people, the Scots who were loyal to the British up in North Carolina, told them the same thing. Yeah, the Highland Scots. The Highland Scots. Right. They said, we're coming ashore, you guys be ready. Well, the problem was, they never came ashore, and the Scots and the, and the Cherokee started attacking up in the upcountry. The Scots, of course, were defeated in North Carolina because the British hadn't been able to arm them or anything. They're fighting guys with muskets with broadswords. just didn't work. The Cherokee, of course, had been armed and had been getting arms. And so that war lasted a little bit longer. Um, July 2nd, they said the Second Cherokee War started, and it really didn't end until July of 1777. I'm sorry, May of 1777. The treaty was signed at a place called DeWitt's Corner. DeWitt's Corner is just about two miles north of Due West on Highway 20. There's a little sign there that says DeWitt's Corner, and it gives you the information that the treaty was signed there in uh, 1777 between the Cherokee and the militia. Now, it wasn't just the South Carolina militia. Remember, the Cherokee covers a pretty broad area. The Cherokee had been attacking settlements in Virginia, North Carolina, Georgia, and South Carolina. Well, when the British are defeated off the coast of South Carolina in 1776, all these militia forces in the upcountry of Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, Virginia, joined together, not necessarily as one big group, but in their campaigns independently against the Cherokee. And so they're burning and killing Indians like it's going out of style. And they did that for approximately... Uh, a whole year and the Cherokee finally said no thanks not all the Cherokee but most of the Cherokee said just leave us alone well, certainly the lower towns did yes the lower, the lower towns did and of course what went along with that land the only thing that the Cherokee basically owned then was Clemson <laughs> the little corner little corner up in the upstate uh, where South Carolina and Georgia and all those come together Cherokee, that was considered Cherokee land, but all the rest of it went to the white man. Now, 
another little rabbit hole we're going down. Is this where Andrew Pickens got invi- got involved in the ring fight? Yes, right. that is where he got Which involved. Which he says is one of the worst fights he ever got into. Yes, but another big leader one was Williamson, who was also here at the 96 at the right. first battle as one of the leaders here. Him and Pickens both, being from the upcountry, uh, participated in this Indian War against mm-hmm. the Cherokee. Now, like I said, the war ends in, in May of 1777. Now, a, a series of events in the South that start occurring in 1778. Savannah's taken by the British as a base to operate out of. There's several battles that occur uh, around there. In May of 1780, they turn their attention to Charlestown. And they, they set up uh, to take Charlestown. In May of uh, 1780, after Charlestown falls, uh, they have the Battle of the Waxhaws. That's also known as Buford's Massacre. Right. Uh, they have that battle. So what you see here is you have 5,000 Continental and Militia troops in Charlestown that surrender. You have the Battle of the Waxhaws where there's five or 600 folks from Virginia that also surrender. Uh, you know, things aren't looking too good for the Patriot cause. In June, Fort 96 is basically given up to the British. The British show up and uh, they just basically sign it over to them, sign the pet parole that says, okay, I'm just gonna go home. I'm not gonna fight anymore. Andrew Pickens signs, Williamson signs. A lot of the leaders sign and get their men to sign as well. There's a few holdouts, Sumter, Marion, and a few other smaller groups that don't sign. And so they continue a kind of a guerrilla warfare. But up here in the upstate, fighting had basically ended. Um, in August, of course, the Second Continental Army, which had been sent by Washington to relieve Charlestown, they became the Southern Army after Charlestown fell, mm-hmm. led by a guy by the name of Gates, they have a battle at, at the uh, town of Camden mm-hmm. and lose bad, lose bad. And so that also contributes to the people saying South Carolina is done. They've given it up to the British. Now, after that, they put a gentleman by the name of Lieutenant Colonel John Kruger from New York in charge of the fort at 96. They tell him this is the key to the upstate. You need to hold the fort at all costs. So he starts refortifications, uh, building up the town fortifying that same place where they had the first battle out, that farm across from the spring because there's no other water. There is no other water. And so they're going to try to protect that water supply by building that fort there. And that is the fort that is at 96 today. It's a reconstruction of the fort that was created by by Lieutenant Colonel Kruger in 1780. Now what happened was, as Kruger's building these fortifications, he sends word to Cornwallis. Cornwallis had appointed him that. He sends word to Cornwallis that he need, he, he's not a fort builder. He's a guy from New York. He says, I need an engineer. I need somebody to come down and let me know if I need to do anything else. Right. And, and the guy that shows up and looks at the fortification, he says, if you build one more fort up in the northeast corner of the town, that'll protect the road and the town. The star fort is created. He draws it on, a, on the ground, they said. The figure of a star fort. He says, this is the strongest fort you can build. And Kruger, using slave labor and also his own own forces, he builds this star fort during this period. Starts in the, in the right. fall of 1780, goes to the, to the summer of 1781. So those are the three forts that show up. At the same time, a guy by the name of Patrick Ferguson, Major, Major Patrick Ferguson, has now been appointed by Clinton to form the South Carolina Provincial Army Militia Force from South Carolinians. He shows up at 96 to, as his base. And people are coming in and he's training the South Carolinians 
to become basically like British soldiers. Issued red jackets, I mean the whole nine yards. He, of all people, should have known that the rifles they were taking away from these frontiersmen and giving them muskets was a bad mistake. Well, he should have known that because he was a firearms guy. Firearms expert. He'd invented a gun breech loading as opposed to having to do the ramrod and everything. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's very aware. When you read some of his documentation about the battles and the, and the fighting over here, he, he just praises the rifle. Yet the guys that showed up here with rifles, he took them away and gave them muskets because that's the way the British fought. You give them a red coat and a musket, and you have them line up and shoot at each other with bayonets. Well, from a from a provision standpoint, that's the provisions they had too. Exactly right. right. Exactly the, right. The rifle balls would not fit into. No. I mean, the musket balls Different would not gauge. fit into the rifle. Different gauges. So. That's correct. So he creates this little army here here at ninety six, and uh, and then things start. The wheels start coming off of Cornwallis's plans. Cornwallis has already turned after the Battle of Camden. He turns and heads into North Carolina. He's moving north. Because there was a plan afoot that they thought if they could capture Virginia, North Carolina, South Carolina, and Georgia, that they could possibly go sue for peace and let America become just the northern colonies. Because where most of the raw goods, farm goods, came from were Virginia, North Carolina, right. South Carolina, and Georgia. From an economic standpoint, the southern state, the southern colonies uh, held sway or for, of the trade and that sort of thing. And the other thing was, it was a carrot to the French to stay out of the war. So a lot going on. There's a lot of back, back room stuff going on that, you know, we kind of miss. Now, there's a little battle called Musgrove Mill that occurred about this time. Now this is, Musgrove Mills was around the time that Camden is being lost. Camden's being lost, same time. Uh, Thomas Sumter... Uh, right after Camden is lost, he's hanging out in the wind on the on the western side of the Watery River. The British follow up and catch him at Fishing Creek. So now, in the British mind, we got this. We got this. That's We've exactly right. All, right. What they didn't know was those over mountain boys were coming to Charlestown, but it takes a while to get there from there, and so they hadn't quite got there yet. When they found out about Charlestown, they found out Waxhaws, Camden had fallen. Uh, all this is bad news, right? But these guys have come a long way. And they got a, they got a little group up at Musgrove Mill. Cornwallis is stationed a group at Musgrove Mill. And they say, well, we can take those guys. There's only about 200 of them. And so they hook up with some militia guys out of North Carolina, some militia guys out of South Carolina, and now the Overmountain Boys, and they're going to go to Musgrove Mill and, and take these guys. What they don't realize is Cornwallis had sent additional troops on their way to 96 that had stopped at Musgrove Mill. But they find out about it because someone comes and tells them before they get there that, hey, there's not 200 guys there. There's about 700 guys there. There's a lot more than what you think. And they said, well. Well, they're retired at that point. Yeah. They couldn't. Once they had gotten down there, they realized our horses are beat. We're beat. We're going to have to make a stand here. That's right? right. That's right. So what they do, though, but they set up. We can't fight them face to face, toe to toe. But So what we're going to do is set a trap. And so what they did was. They sent some guys down to the creek like they were getting water and stuff. And they, they knew they'd be in perfect view of the Loyalist troops, right? And of course, sure enough, the Loyalist troops see them and they give chase. Well, meanwhile, these guys have cut down trees and stuff back down the, back down the path and set up an ambush. So when these guys come across the creek and they get to that point, they let them have it. So now 
They capture a bunch of guys that capture a bunch of ammunition and gun. I mean, just stuff. They capture stuff. And Cornwallis, who's up in North Carolina, goes, where'd those guys come from? <laughs> you know, we, keep, we keep fighting guys and beating them. Where'd these guys come from? You know, what in the world's going on? So he calls, he calls Major Ferguson here at 96 and says, I need help. I need help. So Major Ferguson is given the task of basically protecting Cornwallis' left flank as he's going into North Carolina. I'm not going to go into that. It's a whole other story. Ferguson ends up at a place called Kings Mountain after threatening the over-mountain boys who turn around and come back over the mountains. It's the wrong thing to do. <laughs> to meet Ferguson at a place called Kings Mountain. And, of course, Ferguson is completely destroyed. 700, 700 men are capsuled. Ferguson is killed. Cornwallis retreats back into South Carolina because he doesn't feel like his, ref, his left flank is secure. Right. And so the... Uh, the the threat to North Carolina kind of kind of weighs for a little bit, and not three months later, January. But Ferguson came out of ninety six. Correct. Right. He brought the troops out of ninety six. Right. So all those guys who were training. Here that's where in he was. That's where his training base came, was. That came. They went into the mountains, got chased back out of the mountains, ended up at Kings Mountain, were decimated. So Correct. now, who's at ninety six at that point? Kruger. Kruger's still there. Because Kruger was not. He had his own force out of New Jersey, New York. Guys out of New York and New Jersey, plus a few uh, loyalists out of South Carolina. Cunningham was there. Patrick Cunningham was in charge of the militia force from South Carolina. And he was in charge of the, of the provincial troops from New York and New Jersey who had joined the British. And we'll go, I can give you some numbers after that. January, of course, what happens? Well, meanwhile, all of this happens. Gates retreats into North Carolina with what's left of his army that was defeated at Camden. General Green shows up to replace General Gates, who'd been defeated at the Battle of Camden. General Green realizes he doesn't have enough provisions to provide for everybody, so he sends a guy by the name of Morgan out to the west with part of the troops, splits his force because they don't have food. <laughs> they don't have forage, don't have anything. He sends Morgan out to the west, and he said, if you have an opportunity, attack somebody. But, you know, the big thing was just trying to keep everybody survive. survive. Yeah, right. get some food, survive. So Morgan heads out to the west, and, and Cornwallis goes nuts because now he knows this force and he knows where it came from and he sends Tarleton after him. Well, we're not going to go into that battle either, but that battle of Cowpens occurs. And, of course, we know that Tarleton was decimated. Right. All the troops pretty much destroyed. So now Cornwallis has lost his, basically, his fast troops, the guys that go out in front of him that make sure everything's okay. Those guys are all gone now. And... Uh, so Cornwallis basically decides he's not going into North Carolina and he's going to settle down where he's at and get ready for the next campaign into the north, which occurs in March at Guilford Courthouse. Mm -hmm. Now, in between that, and this is crazy, between January and March, he tries to chase General Green. Right. Coming, All, coming from Cowpens, they've got to do something, right? He's got to do something. What, what did Kruger at 96 do? What he is doing actively is he's going to support Camden. Okay. When these little militia forces pop up, he sends troops. When militia forces pop up around Augusta, he sends troops. So he's the, sending them right and left everywhere. He's trying to put out the fires. Put out the fires in the upcountry. Yeah. And there was a big a big event down at Augusta. Militia forces got together. They were trying to take Augusta. And who shows up? About 500 guys show up from, Fort, from 96. And, of course, puts that out. The militia, you know, retreats back into the woods. And that's what they're doing. They're supporting each other. These three forts 
are supporting each other in the upcountry. And that's what happened is happening at 96. It's kind of like the linchpin for both areas. Right.